Test. Oh, I'm on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I knew Pastor DJ was going to do that. Ah, thank you. Thank you so much. Wow. Well, I want to I wanna take a moment and welcome you uh, to Church for All. Feels good just to say it, and uh, we, of course, uh, are excited. We are elated. The atmosphere is electric. Uh, today is an epic day. Uh, today is a monumental occasion, as today marks the first Sunday, uh, the uh, original, the inaugural gatherings of this church, and we are truly honored and privileged to have you here. Can we just take a moment and give it up for God? Listen, this doesn't happen without the grace of God. Nothing short of a miracle. He's so good. He's so good. Those of you who know me uh, know that this church, this dream, this day uh, has been in Kim and my heart for over a decade. Uh, for 10 years, uh, we've dreamt of this day. And if you've ever had a dream, you realize you face moments uh, in that dream where you feel the dream is delayed. And you wonder, is this thing ever going to come to pass? And you find out rather quickly and pristinely that uh, God's ways aren't your ways. And God's thoughts are not your thoughts. And God's timelines certainly are not your timelines. Nevertheless, it's in those moments you have to stand firm, uh, have faith, believe, because he is still there. Uh, he's with you. And then you'll face moments in your dream where you feel your dream uh, has been denied. And you'll wonder, is God there? Did I hear him? Did I miss him? Yet it's in those moments you still have to stand firm, uh, have faith and believe because he is still there. Because eventually you'll arrive at a day like today uh, where your dream and destination uh, more or less intersect. And you realize God has been with you in this journey all along. His hand, his fingerprints have been uh, in this thing all along. And you find yourself grateful. Uh, grateful for the grace of God because none of us would be here without it. Amen? And thankful for friends and family like all of you. And on behalf of myself, our team, uh, my wife, Church for All, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for believing in this vision. Thank you for taking this faith step with us. Uh, thank you for trying this crazy thing with us of launching a church in the middle of a pandemic. Why not, right? I mean, if it's crazy, maybe that means it's God. Uh, but uh, we truly believe uh, for you, for us, for this church, uh, the rest of our days are going to be the best of our days. And God has some great moments. He has some great miracles ahead for you, for us, for this church. One more time, let's just give it up for what God is doing. He's so good. And listen, what better Sunday to launch than on Easter Sunday, right? He is risen. Come on, there we go. 9.30 didn't have it. You guys got it. He's risen. He's alive. Uh, what a great Sunday to launch. You know, uh, growing up as a kid, uh, I, I love Easter. I have fond memories of Easter. And I remember as a kid loving Easter uh, ultimately for two reasons. First and foremost, the candy. Right? Loved the candy. Still do love the candy, especially Reese's peanut butter eggs. Anyone else like peanut butter and chocolate? Yeah, of course you do. You're good people. Of course. Reese's, I think, in Latin means like from God. Uh, 
or it doesn't, but it should. And, uh, and Reese's, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know how it is, but every once a year on Easter, they get this Reese's peanut butter egg just right. I mean, it's perfect. I don't know if it's, you know, part of their marketing strategy or, or if it's an Easter miracle. I don't know. But it's just right. It has like double the peanut butter. Uh, the peanut butter is softer. It's smoother. Uh, listen, tomorrow, go to the store and buy these things out. Buy these in the bulk. Easter will be over. They'll be discounted. Your family will thank you. They're amazing. They're amazing. But as a kid, I loved Easter uh, for the candy. I also loved Easter as I knew it was the one time a year my mom would take us Easter clothes shopping and I would go to the store and pick out like an Easter outfit. And I remember even being just this little Matthew, you know, walking into church looking fresh, you know, <laughs> looking fitted, walking into church like, how you doing, you know? And, and, uh, and you all just, you know, look so nice today, dressed up in your Easter's best, you know, dressed to the nines, as they say. I don't even know what that means, but someone said that to me today, so I'm like, I'm going to say it. So, uh, but you all, you all look so good. Uh, you know, this is something I do like two times a year, uh, Easter and then Christmas Eve. Next week, I will be in jeans and probably a t-shirt because that is how I roll. So, so but you all look so nice, look so good this Easter uh, uh, nevertheless, we realize that the, uh, the purpose of Easter is the resurrection, uh, that Jesus is alive. And what I love about a day like today is we have brothers and sisters all across the world who have gathered together for the express purpose of worshiping the life, the death, and ultimately the resurrection of Jesus. That Jesus may have died, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead, and because he did, we can be saved in every sense of the word. Because Jesus died, we can live. Because the tomb was empty, our hearts are full. Come on. Because he was raised up, we bow down and we worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And what I love, come on, you can clap, that's fine. Yeah. What I love about launching this church on Easter is truly the same power, purpose, and premise of the resurrection is the same vision, mission, and mandate of this church that the gospel is for all, the good news is for all, so our mission is to be a church for all. Amen? I'll get into that a little more in a moment. For now, I want to read out of 2 Corinthians 5. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 through 17. Um, and this, these verses ultimately are our church verses, kind of the foundation of church for all. And how many of you know this? How many of you know couples can have a song? Yeah. Right? Couples can have a song. For my wife and I, it was a song, You Say It Best When You Say Nothing At All, uh, from the movie Notting Hill. Uh, <laughs> It seems new to me, but I think the movie's like 25 years old. Somebody told me in the lobby at 930, they said, I think it's 30 years old. I'm like, thank you very much for aging me five more years. But, uh, but that was our song. And, uh, and I remember one time in the first year of our marriage, we were in a disagreement, an argument, and I used a line of that song. And I'm like, well, you know, Kim, you say it best when you say nothing at all. Ooh. How many of you have ever said anything dumb? Yeah, me too. And so I, I never used that line again. 22 years of marriage, never used it since. I learned my lesson. But couples can have a song. And you know it's their song because it comes on and they'll look at each other. And if you're anything like me, you're like, how do I know this song? And then Kim's looking at me like, you should know this song. And I'm like, uh. 
And then she'll say something like, Matt, this is a song that was playing the first time you held my hand at a Starbucks. (laughs) Right? Like, I'm going to remember those small anniversaries. But couples can have a song. In the same way couples can have a song, I think churches can have a verse. And this ultimately is our verse, 2 Corinthians 5.15. And I want to read it to you. Are you ready? Paul writes to the church in Corinth these words. He says, for the love of Christ controls us. That's a powerful word. That's profound imagery. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. In verse 15, and he died for all. And Jesus died for all, so that those who live would no longer live for who? themselves, but for him who died and rose on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one by the flesh, even though we have known Christ by the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone, not some, not most, if anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. If you would, stand up with me, just a change of pace, change of scenery. Let's pray. I'll preach for a couple moments, then send you home to eat your Easter ham, turkey, takeout, barbecue. Just make sure you get a Reese's peanut butter egg. All right? All right, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for our time together. We thank you for the resurrection. Jesus, you are alive and well. That you may have died, but you didn't stay dead. You rose from the grave. And because of that, we are loved. We have life. We have purpose. We have meaning. And we are found in you. I pray, God, that we would have faith today to believe you make all things new. Not some things, not most things, not many things, but you can make us new today as we believe on and in you. We pray that you would change our lives in every sense of the word. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You can sit down. Go ahead and sit down. Growing up, uh, when I was in elementary school, I loved recess. Recess was my favorite subject. Anyone else love recess? The the thing I disliked the most when I was in elementary school is the thing I loved the most as an adult, and that was nap time. Any of you remember nap time, where your teacher would make you take a nap? I think as adults, we call that like heaven. You know what I mean? Like, that's awesome. Can you imagine tomorrow? It's like 1 o'clock. Your boss barges into your office. We have a meeting at three, but why aren't you taking a nap? You know, like, don't mind if I do. But uh, as a kid growing up, I loved uh, recess, loved recess. And I can still vividly recall the moment the recess bell would ring, I'd race out of the class and sprint onto the kickball field. The kickball field was my place. The kickball field was my spot. The kickball people were my people. Uh, the kickball players were my people. I mean, that's where I hung out. That was my spot. Yet I can still remember one particular recess when I was in the fourth grade that our recess teacher was absent. So they had to combine our third and fourth grade recess with fifth and sixth grade recess. And this particular day, I raced out of the class, but seeing the sixth graders, found myself walking a bit gingerly uh, to the kickball field. Now, When you are in fourth grade, sixth graders look like giants. And I can still remember thinking this day was going to be different as these sixth graders looked huge. Now, in retrospect, in hindsight, looking back, I realized most of these kids were probably five feet, five and a half feet tall. But to me, 
every single one of them looked like The Rock. <laughs> every single one looked like DK Metcalf. I mean, they all looked huge. Even one of my best friends in, in elementary school, Andre, he was one of those kids who in elementary school looked like a full-grown man. Any of you have that friend? We're all like scrawny with high voices, and Andre has like a goatee and biceps. Even Andre looks small in comparison to the sixth graders. They picked captains. Uh, these were kids I didn't know, and they started picking teams. They continued picking teams. They finished picking teams. My name was not picked. And so instead of wasting time picking the final five, six, seven of us, they just kind of allotted us into teams. You know what I mean? They're like, you three go over here. You four go over there. Uh, let's play kickball. So they put me in my position uh, left out. <laughs> and that's it. No. <laughs> left out, 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 outfield. <laughs> okay. I mean, I was so far outfield, I couldn't see home plate. Uh, my, my school was in Skyway, the Rainier Beach area, and, and I was playing so far back, uh, I think I had a foot in West Seattle. I mean, I was <laughs> back. No way was a ball ever going to be kicked to me. Watch the stool. When it came time to kick, uh, all the sixth graders, they kept cutting in front of us. They kept kicking on our, in our place. I didn't get a chance to kick. And I can still remember the emotions decades, years later, thinking that I, I felt like I didn't belong. Uh, I felt like I was a bit out of place. And it was frustrating. Why? Because this place, the kickball field, was supposed to be my place, yet I felt out of place. Uh, these people... These kickball players were supposed to be my people, and I didn't feel they were my people. I felt as though I did not belong. I felt a bit out of place. Now, the good news, the good news is the following day, our recess teacher was back, and everything was right as it should be in the world, right? Everything was as it should be under the cosmos, and I went back to ruling the kickball field. But I share this story because I wonder if this story, if it, even the slightest, serves as an example of how some people think today when they think about walking into church. They wonder, will I feel like I belong? Will I feel in place or will I feel out of place? I share this story because I think it's possible it serves as a slight example of how some might think when they think about coming into church. Like, can that place be my place? Can those peoples be my peoples? Can that community be a place that I can find community? And can that church be my home? And my prayer, my hope is when anyone walks into church for all, the answer is a resounding yes. The answer is an emphatic yeah with an exclamation point. See, make no mistake about it, uh, we're living in a day and age where many in our community feel a bit displaced from church, feel distant from church. I cannot tell you how many people I've talked to over the course of the last six, seven, eight months who say, I, I just feel distant from church. Uh, I, I feel a bit cautious now walking into church, I, I'm even a bit cynical. And listen, I get it. I do. I understand. 
But my prayer, my hope, is when those a bit skeptical towards church walk into church for all, they're immediately greeted by the grace of God and the smiles on the faces of people. Though we can't see them under the mask, we're smiling, I promise. My prayer, my hope, is when those maybe a bit cautious or even skeptical about church walk in to church for all, they're immediately met by the love of God and the love of people. I pray, I hope, that when those a bit pessimistic, wondering, can that place ever be my place, walk in, they walk out optimistic, that I believe this place could be my home. Because as Pastor Stu said, we experience the presence of God. We experience the love of God. We experience the grace of God and the people of God full of love and compassion. And I believe I experienced a church for all. That's what this whole thing's all about. And listen, what I love, what I love about launching this church on Easter is the same premise, purpose, and power of Easter. It's the same mission. It's the same vision, the same mandate of this church, that if the gospel is for all, the good news is for all, then our mission is to be a church for all. Amen? That word gospel simply means good news. Good news. And what makes this good news good news is that this good news is for all. Not some, not many, not most, not just the mere elite or elect, not just the mere uh, few and special, not us four and no more, but for all. And the gospel simply put is this. Jesus came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. He died a gruesome death. But three days later, he rose from the dead. And because he did, all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. All can receive salvation in him. Romans 10, 13 says, all who call on the name of Jesus can and will be saved. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said, go out into all the world and make disciples. John 3.16, we read that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that many, some, no, that whosoever, that all who believe in Jesus would not perish but have everlasting life. And in 2 Corinthians 5.15, Paul lays out the scope of the gospel and in doing so lays out the foundation of this church when he says Jesus died for And if the gospel is for all, the good news is for all, then our mission is to be a church for all. I looked up the word all in the dictionary, and it means all. <laughs> all. See, this simply put means the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Nobody stands up taller. Nobody stoops down lower. But all of us are sinners in need of a Savior. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God, and we need his grace. And if the gospel is for all, the good news is for all, then our mission is to be a church for all. All people, age, race, ethnicity, background, circumstance, situation, upbringing. All, regardless of what's gone on in your past, regardless of what's happening in your present, regardless of what could happen in an uncertain future, all. All for the best of us and for the rest of us. For Seahawk fans and for 49er fans. Though we will try to convert you. Stu raised his hand. He's a Giants fan. Nobody cares, bro. 
<laughs> the sole Giants fan here today. <laughs> but the gospel is for all. And so as we wind down these, these next few moments, I want to share with you three very quick truths, three very practical points, three uh, very quick thoughts of what a church for all looks like, of what gospel living, if we're to be these living epistles, as the Bible says, what does that look like? Out of 2 Corinthians 5, I want to share with you three things that a church for all looks like. A church for all, dot, dot, dot. A church for all, dot, dot, dot. A church for all, number one, is led by the love of Jesus. Led by the love of Jesus. We read it in verse 14. Paul says, for it's the love of Jesus that controls us. Controls. Wow. That is a powerful word. That's a profound word. Controls us. That word controls, it's actually taken from this Greek word. It's pronounced sinichi, and it means to control, to compel, or to take over. To control, to compel, or to take over. That the love of God should control our lives, compel our lives, and take over every part of our lives. It's this word picture of the love of God being so infinite, so massive, that his love pours over us, that there's plenty left over to spill out into the lives of those we interact with. That's how our lives ought to look. That the love of Jesus would compel us, control us, take over our lives. And if we're going to be this church for our all, if we're going to be people who live out the gospel, live out the Bible, then our aim, our focus must be to let the love of Jesus lead us. The love of Jesus lead us. A.W. Tozer, who was a great preacher, great, one of the greatest theologians to ever live, he made this statement, and he said this. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Huh. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Really? The most important thing? I mean, there's a lot of important things out there, right? The most important thing? Yeah. Why? I, I sound like Olaf. Yeah. Why? I picked that up in the first service and I can't get it out of my mind now. It's the most important thing about us. Why? Because that which we worship, we will eventually become like. Because that which we worship or aim to be, we will eventually become. So if when we think about God, we see a God who's angry and bitter and mad, the byproduct of that could be that we find ourselves angry, bitter, and mad. But if we see God as he is, Scripture tells us that God is love. Not just pro-love, not just for love, not just about love. He is the very embodiment of love. When we look at God through the lens of Jesus, who is God, we see a God who's full of grace and truth, mercy, kindness, compassion, love, grace, and if we see God that way, then the byproduct of that is those things will begin to come out of our lives with the people we interact with. And so if we're going to be this church for all, if we're going to be these gospel living people, 
then our aim, our focus must be that we want to be led by the love of Jesus. Now, what keeps us from being led by the love of Jesus? The Seahawks season. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Frustrating. But what keeps all kinds of things, distractions. On a day-to-day basis, there are a vast array of things that try to distract us from being led by the love of Jesus. I want to share with you just three real quick. I call them the three F's that I believe are prevalent today that come to try to distract us from being led by love. The first one, how about this? Fear. Fear. Make no mistake about it. Fear is a pandemic today. Fear controls. Fear intimidates. Fear isolates. Fear distorts. When fear is running the show, love is no longer in the driver's seat. When fear is running the show, love is repressed. Fear drives us away from God and isolates us from people. But love brings us to Jesus and into community with others. The phrase, do not fear, is the most repeated command of every command in the Bible. Why? Because I think Jesus knew that we'd be living in a day and age and hour in a world and a time inundated with fear. What casts out fear? Love. 1 John 4.18, perfect love casts out all fear. Why? How does that work? It works like this. When we realize God loves us and we realize his love is perfect, not imperfect, Not partial, but when we realize his love is perfect, we realize he loves us, so we realize he's got us. And we really realize, hello, move. (laughs) See that movie, Evan Almighty, where like, just had a moment. (laughs) But when we feel like, when we know God loves us and we know God has us, then really the question is what can come against us? Who can come against us? If we know God loves us and we know he has us, then it gives us confidence, and we are then liberated and free to love others, whether they're like us or not. We can love others. So fear, fear often comes in and tries to keep us from being led by love. What, what, what's the second F? Feelings. Feelings. Feelings, I think at times if we're not careful and cautious, our feelings can keep us from being led by love. Now, you know what's so interesting, even ironic, we could use the word paradox or paradoxical about feelings, is our feelings are real. They are. Your feelings are real, and yet our feelings lie to us. Isn't that interesting? Our feelings are very real. And yet, if we're not careful and cautious on a day-to-day basis, our feelings can deceive us. Case in point, every time my alarm goes off early in the morning to work out, my feelings say, stay in bed. I don't know what it is, but by morning, my bed feels perfect. Like it's like heaven's little pillow. You know what I mean? It's just like perfect. I don't want to get out of it. Like when I go to bed, I I toss and turn. I have trouble getting to sleep. I, you know, it's like my head hits the pillow. So my brain has a hundred thoughts. Anyone else like that? And so I have trouble getting to sleep. But by the time I get to morning, my bed feels perfect. I don't want to get out of bed. And my feelings say, stay in bed. You can work out tomorrow. I can't. You can work out next week. I won't. 
you can work out next year, it's over. <laughs> right? See, our feelings are real, and yet our feelings will lie to us. That is why we read in Scripture that the Word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path that gives us direction as we walk the course, as we walk the path, as we walk this journey. And in the midst of having weird feelings, and we all have them, that's why we have the Word of God, to give us direction and focus. The third F, the third F is this, our failures. Our failures, what keeps us from being led by love, sometimes being condemned and feeling guilt over wrongs and failures of our past. And I just sense, even when I was praying this morning, that just some of us have allowed the failures in our past to paralyze us in our present, keeping us from moving forward towards a preferred future, towards a future that Jesus has in store for us. And the Apostle Paul, the one who writes 2 Corinthians, knew all about this. See, when we look at Paul, we see this great man. We see this great apostle, and he was. I mean, Paul wrote a third of the New Testament. He's responsible for much of what we know about New Testament theology. Paul, we could joke, reached more people for Jesus than Jesus reached for Jesus. I mean, Paul was this bad man, right? He was amazing. And yet, Paul had a past. In fact, before his name was Paul, his name was Saul. His past was so bad he had to change his name. <laughs> See, Paul used to persecute the church. He used to oppress people. And yet Paul writes this in Philippians 3, verse 14. He says this, not that I've arrived, not that I've obtained, not that I get it all. But he said, one thing I do, I forget that which is behind. And I press forward to that which is ahead. And some of us need to let go of some of the failures of the past so we can embrace the future that Jesus has ready for us. Nobody can go back and start a new beginning, but anybody can start today to create a new ending. We just have to receive his grace. So our feelings, our, our failures, our fear. Those things keep us from being led by love. But if we're going to be this church for all, if we're going to be gospel living people, we want to be led by the love of Jesus. Second point out of 2 Corinthians 5. A church for all, number two, strives to live for Jesus and serve others. Strive to live for Jesus and serve others. Paul writes this. He writes that those who live would no longer live for themselves but for him who died and rose on their behalf. And if we're going to be this church for all, our aim, by the grace of God, we're not perfect, but by the grace of God, we want to strive to live for Jesus. And what does that look like? Serving others. Serving others. Now, make no mistake about it. This, this message, this idea is contrary to our world. This message, this mantra of serve others is contrary to our world. Our world's messaging for all intents and purposes is look out for yourself, right? Look out for us. Look out for you. And I'm not saying we shouldn't take care of ourselves. We should. But do you is kind of the mantra of our culture today. And yet study after study indicates that when we live life this way, we find ourselves unfulfilled. Study after study indicates that when we live life for ourselves, we find ourselves unfulfilled. 
we find ourselves unhappy, even downright miserable. Some people think if I just made more money, if I had more money, I'd be more happy. But the great theologian, Notorious B.I.G., said, more money, more problems. Right? And so we realize money alone doesn't buy happiness. No, it doesn't buy sadness either. You know? <laughs> but we realize money can't buy everything. Uh, money can buy you a house, but not a home. Money can buy you a bed, but not a good night's sleep. Money can buy you some things, but not everything. So we realize this alone doesn't fulfill us. How about this one? If I, if I just climb to the top. If I just climb the corporate ladder, if I, if, I just, if I just get that title, that promotion, that position, I'll be fulfilled. I'll made it, make it. And while that's great, we realize this alone doesn't fulfill us. Study after study indicates this by itself does not fulfill us. I read a study. It was in, a, I think, psychology today. It studied teachers who tenured and those who didn't. And they found that young teachers who tenured and young teachers who were rejected tenure after a short period of time had the same level of happiness based off their criteria. And their summary was title, position, promotion alone doesn't fulfill us. So what does? Striving to live for Jesus and serving others. Dr. Martin Luther King, one of my favorite quotes, look at this quote. He said, life's most persistent and urgent question is this, what are you doing for others? And I propose to you, if that's the question on our minds when we wake up each morning, I propose to you, if that's the question that rings through our mind throughout the course of a day, we'll find ourselves living fulfilled lives. We'll find ourselves at peace. We'll find ourselves at solace. Yes, uh, live the life God's called you to live. Press forward, reach out, go for it. But let's know in the process of that, our hearts call our heart's cry is to live for Jesus and serve others. Jesus said it this way. He said, let the greatest among you serve. And when we serve others, I believe we find out what the heart of Jesus looks like. And lastly, and worship team, you could come up here. Lastly, if we're going to be this church for all, we need to have faith. Jesus makes all things new. Have faith. Be people of faith who believes Jesus Makes all things new. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, Paul writes the words, we just read it. Any person who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That Jesus came not just to improve our lives, not just to better our lives, not just to make things better. Jesus came to give us a brand new life. And I think sometimes if we're not careful, if we're not cautious, we can depict this whole thing. The gospel, church, we can depict it incorrectly. Because we can look at church as a place we go to solely for self-help and for self-improvement and, and, and to just get better. And that's great. But it is so much more than that. I think sometimes if we're not careful, uh, we can look at church as a place we just go to to get better. And so we wake up Sunday morning we get ready for church. We go through the insanity of trying to get our kids ready for church. And how come every time we ask our kids to get ready, they act like they've never gotten ready before? 
You know, they come down wearing a tank top. It is snowing outside. Right? I'm like, just act like you've been around people before. Don't be weird. But they act like they've never gotten ready before. And so we get our kids ready. We get all ready to go to church. We take our 2.5 kids, because that's the average, and we go into our minivan that we said we'd never buy when we were 20 years old. And we drive and we race to church for the sole purpose to get better, to improve. Well, the good news, the good news, you probably will improve. You probably will get better. You'll rub shoulders with some great people. You'll engage in community with uh, some great people. You'll learn some things from them. I know I have. You'll hear the word of God taught and you apply it to your life. You get results. It probably will improve your life. But it is much more than that. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. Jesus didn't come to make good people better. Jesus came to take dead people and bring us back to life. Jesus came to take our old life and by his grace and mercy make us brand new in him. And the power of the resurrection is Jesus came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. He died a gruesome death. But three days later, he rose from the dead. And because he did, we can have a new start. Because he did, we can have a clean slate. Because he did, we can have a blank canvas. And we can have a brand new life in him. If you would, bow your heads, close your eyes with me. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If this morning you say, I, I, need, I need Jesus in my life. I'm distant from him. I'm far from him. Maybe I've never known him. But I need that new life. I need that new start. Maybe things in your life are downright miserable. Maybe they're not. Maybe things in your life are good, but you still know there's a missing piece and you need him. There's no better Sunday than on Easter Sunday to receive Jesus. And with every head bowed, every eye closed, no one's looking around. I'm not going to call you up. But if you just say, that's me, could you just put your hand up and then write back down? Just say, that's me. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see him. See him. Many hands. And just on your own, just pray this prayer. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I love you. I thank you for dying for me, giving your life for me. I thank you for the cross that you took my place, and I receive you as my Savior. In Jesus' name. And if you would, stand up. I want to pray over you, and then we're going to worship for a moment together. Lord, I just pray for every person, from the eldest adult to the youngest kid that's here. Lord, we just pray that you would move in our lives. We pray that the power of the resurrection, that you're alive, would alter the course of our lives. That because you rose from the dead, it matters. And it changes the way we live. We thank you for your grace.